So the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Those two verses hold the keys to a kind of freedom that a lot of people never experience in their life. Because they're stuck in verse 31, they never get to verse 32. They're stuck in bitterness, rage, anger, evil behavior. They're so hurt by something that's happened to them that they can't move forward into the life that God is offering. Because they don't think verse 32 is possible for them. That they could ever forgive the way that Jesus forgives. And some people have a good story to tell about why that's the case. A heart-wrenching story about how badly they've been wronged. And the fact that they, would, they might even say, I understand I should forgive, but you don't understand how deep this hurt goes. Today I'd like to unpack a little bit of that with you. And although in the next few minutes we won't be able to answer every possible question about forgiveness or open to every Bible text that relates to it, what I'd like to do is encourage you that the freedom of forgiveness is possible for you, and not only related to the things that happened to you in the past, but certainly the offenses and wrongs that will come in the future. That if you really will walk the way of Jesus, there's a joy and a delight that can fill your heart even in the worst of times and even when you're under persecution. So to set this up and to help illustrate what we'll be talking about today, I want to put Pastor Dell on the screen with a story about the genocide in Rwanda that happened in the 1990s and the type of forgiveness that was extended and still is needed today in that country. So let's listen. One million people, uh, that's how many people died in 100 days in the 1990s in Rwanda. Ethnic violence between two tribes broke out and one tribe decided to literally eliminate the other. When all the dust settled and order was restored to Rwanda, the court system had to figure out how do you prosecute and bring to justice this many hurt and broken people. They realized that if they did the traditional thing and sought an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, there was going to be nobody left in their country. That's when uh, the Christian community stepped in with this idea of forgiveness as actually a practical resolution to a terrible tragedy. And the idea was to bring people into a different kind of justice. They called it restorative justice. And so all over Rwanda, uh, billboards were put up. The billboard simply said, confess what you've done, the truth will set you free. 
And so people who had committed these atrocities, sometimes so brutal that they had murdered entire families with machetes or clubs, there had been rape, there had been maiming. These people started to come forward under all the guilt and shame and say, I was part of that. I, I, I lost my mind. I did things that I regret. And the communities gathered in little tribunals and they gave opportunities for people who had committed crimes to confess what they had done to the families and to the remaining folks, the victims um, of those who had suffered it. And in the, in the pain and all the, all the tears, a, a beautiful story of forgiveness began to emerge. A woman who had lost her husband, all of her children, her brothers, her uncles, I mean, literally in this massacre. A young man stood before her who had committed the killings and in tears just confessed to the fact that he saw their faces every night and the scenes of what he had actually done haunted his dreams. And he begged really for mercy and forgiveness. And she gently, with tears coming down her own face, raised the eyes of this man to her own and said, you know, what you took from me can never be replaced. You've got to take the place of the ones that you've killed. You've got to become my son. You've got to return to this place. And from the ashes, rebuild a life together where you'll return in love what you took in insanity. And these kind of stories of forgiveness became the foundation for on which the Rwandan society began to rebuild and have a hope for a future. Now, as extreme as that all may sound, most of us will never experience the trauma at that level of hatchet-bearing murderers. But all of us hurt and get hurt in life. And we have to decide what we're going to do with the pain that has been done to us and how we're going to respond to the people who have hurt us. And the Christian message, actually, is that there is a path beyond simply finding peace through retribution. Bitterness and unforgiveness is a poison. It corrupts the inside of us. It steals our joy. It diminishes our peace. Uh, sometimes it ruins our health. It drives us into, uh, you know, even mental illness. And so forgiveness, actually, is not something that ultimately we only do to free someone else. Forgiveness is actually something, as Jesus taught us, that first and foremost frees our own heart, gives us peace, gives us the freedom to let go of the things that otherwise would destroy and diminish us and to give us joy and peace. And I want to encourage you, as you think through practically the own wrongs that you've suffered, um, the people who have hurt you, the bitternesses and resentments that you're holding towards others, to ask yourself this question, who's really the prisoner? of the pain that you hold. And if the answer honestly is me, choose the path of forgiveness. Move beyond, through your trust in Jesus, uh, the present pain to the freedom that actually awaits through the power of forgiveness. So last week we talked about how to gain a clear conscience and if you remember, we set this up in a way thinking of it like a ledger. All right, here, here's a statement. Conscience issues are accounting issues. You remember this? They arise when we have knowledge of an unpaid debt. So even if you're not an accountant by trade, your conscience is. Your conscience is the knowledge you have of the things that should be 
maybe the person that you should be and the things that would be just that should happen to you or around you. So when you clear your conscience, you're looking at the debts that you've incurred against others and you're being bothered by the guilt and shame of needing to clear that up. The other side of that ledger, there's also a challenge. And that is that hurt and forgiveness issues are accounting related. Okay, and so look at this one. They come, or they relate to a debt that someone owes us. That person owes me an apology for what they said. That guy owes me more than he could ever pay back from what he took from me. It's a, it's a debt that's unpaid. And so we stand with unforgiven sin, looking at other people going, I need you to pay. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a dollar for a dollar, a hurt for a hurt. What you took from me, I need to make you feel how bad I felt. I need you to suffer to the same degree that I suffered. That's the kind of justice that our natural conscience is after. Now, here's an undeniable truth of how life works. Every debt out there gets paid. It's just a question of who will pay it. So if you think of it in practical terms, if, if I borrow $50 from you and then I say, oh, sorry, I'm not going to pay that back, who pays the debt in that scenario? You do. You're the one that actually had to expense the $50. You don't get it back. So even if you'd say, well, I owe it to you, you're the one that paid if I don't pay you back. Every debt gets paid. Even crazy debts like this one. You've probably seen this along the way. Ta-da, there it is. That's not a picture we like to look at, right? Um, that, that is pretty painful. And as crazy as it is that someone somewhere loaned our government that much money, um, that debt will be paid. You say, I don't think the math works out there, Dan. I don't think we're going to pay that off. Well, uh, it'll either be paid through repayment or it'll be paid a different way. But one way or the other, those losses have to be absorbed by someone, somewhere. And I'm not sure of all the economics behind it, but somehow I suspect that you and me somewhere along the way, right? Um, so here's how this works when it comes to forgiveness. You could think of it like a little chart here. When your conscience is saying, I owe them, the challenges that are going to come into your life are things like guilt and shame and secrecy and trying to hide it, trying to excuse it, trying to, trying to prove it wasn't really your fault. Because your conscience is telling you you owe something, like you violated justice somehow. Jesus' answer to that is to clear your conscience, make Make amends and then ask for forgiveness. Today we're talking about the second part of this. When they owe us, that person needs to pay. And those unpaid debts, if you get angry about them, it'll lead you into bitterness and resentment. It'll lead you to keep a record of wrongs about that person. And every time you lock eyes with them, you know and you hope that they remember how much they owe you how much whatever it was that they did hurt you. Jesus, of course, came and gave us a totally different way to look at life, didn't he? He said, I'm going to forgive you. And on that basis, in the same way you see me forgiving you, I want you to forgive other people. 
So we could look at it this way. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the bill won't get paid. I think some people worry about that. Like if I, if I just forgive, isn't that just kind of sweeping the wrong under the rug? Like where's the justice in that? Well, that's not justice. It doesn't mean that the bill doesn't get paid. It means that the person who is owed something decides to settle the account themselves. They pay instead of the borrower. So it would be like you saying to the person who hurt you, I'm not going to collect this debt anymore. I will pay it. And just when you would raise your hand and say, Dan, that looks good on paper until you know what happened to me, we see the example of Jesus, who literally, as he was being nailed to the cross, what was he saying to the people who were killing him? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That there's a supernatural level of forgiveness that's possible that goes far beyond the kind of justice our conscience is looking for. Something that only God could empower us to do. So I'd like you to turn to Romans 3, and I want to show you how it is that God does this. How does God give you and I the opportunity to be forgiven of our sins, even though we actually are sinful? Like, how is that just? It wouldn't be very just if you think about it, if you went to the courthouse over here in St. Joe, and you, maybe you had, maybe, maybe somehow you were wronged, and you were there to watch the person pay the penalty for what they did. And the judge comes into the courtroom and he says, you know, I'm just feeling particularly generous today and gracious. And so anybody who committed a sin in this courtroom, we're just going to forget about it. If you were the aggrieved party, how would you feel about that kind of justice? You would probably stand up and say, this isn't right. Something's radically wrong. This isn't just at all. And so you might ask, how is God able to do that? When all of us have broken the law, when we've sinned, he still is willing to forgive. You say, well, on what basis, Lord? That, how could you do that? Well, let's look at Romans 3, and we'll see the Apostle Paul kind of walk us through the logic of this. Start in verse 10, okay? Sort of the synopsis of the human condition here. It says, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. And, and it's kind of like if you were looking at the world from God's perspective, you would see it a little differently. So if we look at one to another, we tend to rank ourselves based on how bad or good we think we are. So you say, well, I'm not as bad as my one neighbor, but my other neighbor is probably a little better than I am. But we're all okay, because we're all human. That's kind of our view, right? But when God looks down, he doesn't see that. He sees how far short we all fall of the creation, or the created purpose we have, the holiness that we were designed to embody. So he knows what we were supposed to be. He sees what we are, and he says, no one gets it. No one is righteous. No one even understands what's at stake here. So you could look at the law, and that would prove how guilty you and I are, but that wouldn't fix our problem, and that's what Romans 3.21 starts to address. So jump to that verse. It says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, 
as was promised in the writings of Moses and in the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. And right there you'd say, wait, objection to that. Lord, how are you doing that? How does it have anything to do? Jesus is there, I appreciate that, but how can you declare righteous people who did terrible things? Maybe some of them did terrible things to me. How can you forgive them without justice being done? Well, he goes on to explain. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do at the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. He's saying God can be just, a fair judge, a true judge, not sweeping it under the rug, everything's fully paid for, and God can be the one who justifies people like you and I. And the reason that those two different things are possible is because Jesus is in the middle. Jesus pays the penalty that you and I owe to justice. And on that basis, God can say, even though there's all of this debt that you owe, I've made provision to pay it for you. Justice is done and you get to be made right with God and restored to a relationship with him. Justice says, you pay what you owe. Jesus says, I'll pay what you owe. Now, we're all thankful for that, right? I mean, that's the gospel. That's what we sing about. That's what we celebrate. That's why we're all here. But there's more to that last statement that sometimes we neglect to realize. Jesus says, I'll pay what you owe. He also says, follow me. He says, in the way that you've been forgiven, forgive others. And so he's saying to us that when we experience his forgiveness and the depth of that and the amazing truth of that, that teaches us how to forgive people when they hurt us. So that we would look at our neighbor and say, I'll pay what you owe doesn't make any sense unless there's some divine inspiration involved. Because none of us would look and say, yeah, I'll take your penalty for you. But Jesus did it, and now he invites us to follow him on that same road. So, look down a few chapters, or forward a few chapters to Romans 12, and we see here a start, not a finish, a beginning, of how we apply this amazing principle to our lives. That we look at the incredible forgiveness of God and grace toward us in Jesus, 
And we start applying that in our interpersonal relationships. He gives us some basic instructions. Look to verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. It's the very opposite of any of our instinct, right? Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Isn't that kind of what you would want to do if you were in Rwanda? The story that Dell was talking about? Wouldn't you want those people who hurt your family to be hurt? That's what your flesh would cry out for, and that's what your conscience would think would be right. But Jesus gives us another way. Never repay evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that, you, that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. How often can you take revenge? Never. Well, why? I mean, isn't revenge called for sometimes? Here's what we do with that. He says, leave, the righteous, leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. And, and so here you say, when you forgive, when you write off the loss, when you say, I'm not going to hold that person in my line of fire anymore, you're not letting them off the hook. You're just letting them onto God's hook. He'll take care of the vengeance. He'll take care of the justice. It's not your job to do that as a follower of Jesus. And, and I think it's an exercise of faith to go ahead and trust this vengeance to God rather than trying to get it extracted yourself. And if you think about it, it makes sense. God would be better at giving vengeance than you would anyway. And so you're trusting God to do his job, and meanwhile, you get to walk in the freedom of following Jesus without having to look at a bunch of people as your enemies. And even the ones who persecute you, you're praying for them. You're praying for God to bless them because you're free from all those things that hold people back, like bitterness and rage and anger. That's the life Jesus invites you into. It says instead, verse 20, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Everything in me, when I'm the one who's hurt, when I'm the one who's tried, when I'm the one who's being pushed, um, I want to fight back, don't you? I want to fight back with evil. I want to fight fire with fire. But here it says, don't do that. Instead, overcome evil with good. And so we're looking at Jesus as our example and saying, Lord, if you were willing to do what you did for me, and pay this incredible price for my soul and my salvation, then when I see a brother or sister or neighbor or friend who wrongs me somehow, even though it hurts, Lord, I want to follow your example and how you deal with this instead of doing it my way. And so I'll pay what they owe. I don't need to be some sort of bill collector and go out and try to force them to feel it. Instead, I can be free. Now, I realize there's a lot to this. 
And there's things that we can't even begin to cover about how these, how forgiveness and hurt can get tangled up in people's lives. Like I said at the beginning, this is sort of a start. This is a challenge. This is an encouragement that something different is possible. Maybe it's a first step. I want to give you a few steps forward that you could take. If you have in your mind's eye right now someone or some group of people or some institution or whatever, that when you think of bitterness and forgiveness and when we talk about this, that face pops to mind. Like you know who it is that has hurt you. Here is a way that you could start to walk through that hurt. Number one, and this is the choice, this is the difficult part, write off your loss on the basis of God's love. So give up revenge. Give up trying to get payback. Say, you know what that person took? Lord, I commit all that to you to restore what you can restore, but I'm not going to be, this is number two, I'm not going to be a debt collector anymore. When I lock eyes with that person, I'm not trying to get anything back from them. When the memory of what they did comes up in my mind, I'm not going to try to do something equivalently terrible to their family or them. Lord, I give that up. I commit it to you. Lord, you pay the bills. You collect the bills. My job is to follow you. Most people don't grow up aspiring to be a debt collector anyway. So you don't be one. Don't, don't walk that road. Uh, let the person know that their debt has been marked paid in full. As you go to that person... And say, you know, there's been something between us. I just want you to know I'm not holding that against you anymore. Sometimes there's a time and place for that. And sometimes in sensitive situations, you might need a little counsel before you take that step. In fact, I'd encourage you to pull out that Seeking Him book. And if you haven't been following along or if you don't have a copy, there's more in the foyer. And actually walk through the chapter on forgiveness. And it will coach you through some of the process of how to do these things Uh, a little bit more in-depth than what we can do this morning. Then number four, choose to love them as Jesus loves you, seeking their good rather than their harm and wishing God's best for them. And on an emotional level, that might be when you know that you're really in a state of forgiveness. When in your heart, no matter what the past says, you would say, you know what, I've handed this whole situation to God, and so from here forward, I really do wish the best for whoever that person is. Uh, I pray that God will work in their life somehow. Um, That's a freeing place to be rather than being locked down in your own bitterness and anger. There's a lot of questions people ask. These are a few of the frequently asked questions that I've gotten in my years of being a minister and just helping people process through difficult things. And, And frankly, as I've processed through difficult things in my life, in my family, hurtful things that have happened, Uh, These are some of the things that come up. Uh, What if the person isn't sorry for what they did? And and my answer to that personally has become, I don't want to let their lack of obedience to God and seeking forgiveness hinder my spiritual walk. Like if they already hurt me, I don't want them to hurt me more by me being held in a prison of bitterness until they get right with God. 
So I would rather forgive, again, the way Jesus forgave, which is before we ever asked for it. It's, again, we're just looking up at the cross and we're saying, Jesus, the way you did this is the way I want to do it. I really do want to follow you in a lifestyle of forgiveness. What if they don't stop doing the wrong thing? Jesus spoke to Peter about that a little bit when Peter was thinking like, what if my brother wrongs me seven times in a row? And Jesus said, you know, if it's 70 times seven, you keep forgiving. Because remember, this isn't about what's fair. I mean, if we all got what was fair, none of us would be forgiven for anything and we would all be at each other's throats all the time and then we'd go up and face God on judgment day and we would all be guilty. And so we're not talking about fairness here, we're talking about forgiveness and, and, a, and a path forward that doesn't end up with all of us being destroyed. If they don't stop doing the wrong thing, you say, I pray for the people who persecute me. My job isn't to be a bill collector, my job isn't to be the judge, my job isn't to try to make them right. What if their sin also impacts other people? Most sins do. And that's why some of these, sometimes when we're walking through issues of forgiveness, we need to engage some, some counsel in our life. We need to confide in someone. We need to be praying about this because these don't all have you know, sort of quick, pithy answers to them. What if I can't afford to pay the bill? I mean, if that's sort of the premise here that forgiveness is when you swallow the cost and you write it off, well, what if you just say, honestly, in my heart, I, even if I could, I, I, I can't. I, I don't have the ability to swallow that kind of a loss. Uh, what if the person never gets what they deserve? Like, if I don't collect the bill, what if no one ever does? And there again, we're back to faith in God again, right? And trusting him to handle this. But what if their past wrong keeps affecting me? I think of all the issues in this chapter, that issue, for me, is the hardest one. Um, things that people did a long time ago, people I don't even know personally, did things that dramatically affected my family. And every single day I live with the consequences of just stupid things that people did. Um, and I, every day, am faced with the choice of whether I want to be bitter about that and angry at those people or whether I want to walk the road of Jesus. And I don't know, maybe you have something like that as well in your life. Where just sort of the one time I forgive you, I mean, that's a positive step, but you say that doesn't suffice because the hurt is going to keep happening. It's never going to go away. They took too much. What if I try to forgive, but I just don't feel it? Which I suspect could be the case for a lot of us all the time. What if we're both at fault? You're looking at the person who needs forgiveness, and you're like, well, this is really, the ledger is unbalanced on both sides here. They're supposed to be talking to me about this too. Maybe they should. But here again, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so you can take 100% responsibility for whatever you, you were at fault for doing. And not, not asking for them to forgive you so that maybe they'll ask to and, you know, just say, Lord, this is, this is actually about me doing the right thing and about releasing people from the debts that I think they owe me and committing all of this to you. Again, this is the road of freedom for you, maybe for them as well, but certainly for you. So what I'd like to do in conclusion today is for us to go back to the verse we started with in Ephesians 4, verse 31. And this time, as we go through it, I'd like us to pray this scripture back to the Lord. 
to pray that these truths would find application in our lives and in the situations that we're all facing. Because right now, if we went through all of our situations, I mean, if we all had time to sit down and have a little bit of a group council session, um, we could probably surface hurt in any one of our hearts. Offenses that haven't been cleared up, things people did maybe even years ago that are still bothering us. Let's pray for some release. Let's pray for some freedom. Let's pray for Jesus to help us take the next step of following him rather than doing it our way. All right, so let's pray together based on verses 31 and 32 of Ephesians 4. Lord, your word says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Lord, those who've sinned against us have their own account to settle with you. And we pray that they would find Jesus as well and experience his forgiveness. And maybe some sort of restoration if that's possible. But today, Lord, we're not thinking of them, we're thinking of ourselves. We want to get rid of the bitterness, the rage, and the anger that are in our hearts as a result of what it was that people did to us. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we haven't followed your way, for the times that we have wished ill upon our enemies, for the times that we've tried to exact some sort of vengeance or get payback. Instead, Lord, help us to freely forgive, to move into the next verse, to be kind and tender-hearted, for that to be how people would describe us, not bitter not angry, not resentful, but kind and tender-hearted, open and full of love. Lord, we see Jesus upon the cross dying to pay our penalty for our sins, a debt we could never pay. And we understand that our calling is to follow him and to treat other people the way he has treated us. Even if that means sacrifice for us, even if that means paying a heavy toll, we pray for your grace. We pray for your power. We pray for your forgiving love to fill our hearts supernaturally, to do what doesn't make sense, to forgive the way you forgave us. We'll look forward to doing that, Lord. And we'll look forward to opening our eyes into a new future filled with freedom and potential, no longer chained to the past. Thank you, Lord, for offering us a road worth walking down and a future that we can be excited about. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if something is in your heart or in your mind that you feel like you would like to talk to someone about, we as a church staff just want you to know that we're very available to you. Um, Pastor Bill, myself, Pastor Dell, a variety of others um, would be happy to sit down and at minimum just pray with you about things you're facing, uh, but perhaps even help walk through 
if you would say, you know, I have a forgiveness issue to deal with, the ledger isn't balanced, but I, I need a little bit of help, um, we would love to be there with you and praying along with you as you take those steps. Uh, but for now, God bless you as you continue to seek him, and we'll see you next week.